Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this is going to be a series of talks looking at suspected renal masses. It's something we've covered in the past, but it's something I think well worth reviewing. And when you think about renal masses, there's a range of things you can think about, from renal cells to transitional cell, lymphoma, Wilms tumor to metastasis, and many more things I can list on the sheet here. But because of time, we're going to focus on two different topics, renal cell and then transitional cell carcinoma. When you look at the numbers, 58,000 plus Americans will be diagnosed with renal cancer in 2010, and about uh, 13,000 or so will die from renal cell carcinoma. Deaths worldwide are over 100,000. It's interesting when you look at this, it's a big number disease. Typical age is over 55 years. Obviously, patients with uh, renal tumors can occur earlier, particularly with certain syndromes, von Hepel-Lindau. You end up with renal cell carcinoma in your 20s. And of course, we do typically talk about uh, tumors in children. Then we speak about Wilms tumor, though occasionally you will see renal cell carcinoma in a teen or even uh, younger. When you think about the tumor types, and that's very important for outcome as well as for management, 92% or so are clear cell renal cell carcinomas and about 8% are papillary. We talk about risk factors. Male gender is one of the risk factors, but things from smoking to obesity to high blood pressure are all things we consider. There are certain more unique risk factors. Patients on long-term dialysis get small renal cell carcinomas. I mentioned von Hippolindau, that one of the things you do get besides pancreatic masses is renal cell carcinomas at an early age, and then certain carcinogens. We always like to look at the requisition and look and say, oh, the patient has hematuria, rule out renal mass. And hematuria is indeed a good finding, but in reality, only about 40% of patients with renal cell present with hematuria. Presentations can be very variable from flank pain to weight loss and fever, hypercalcemia. I guess in many ways it depends where in the spectrum do you detect the patient's tumor. If it's detected late, then it's often that weight loss, fever, and back pain that indeed will do it. These days, about two-thirds of renal cell carcinomas are picked up incidentally on other imaging studies, so many of them are going to be in an earlier stage, and that can indeed be helpful. Now, even the term hematuria does not necessarily mean a patient has renal cell carcinoma because there are many different causes of hematuria. And even looking at this list, we need to think about things in terms of protocol design because we need to talk about things like microscopic and macroscopic hematuria. In patients with microscopic hematuria, neoplasms are indeed uncommon, even in an older population. Uh, with macroscopic hematuria, everything changes. Uh, then the risk for malignancy is high, found in up to almost a 30% of cases. And even in younger patients, if you have macroscopic hematuria, we need to worry that you have some sort of tumor. And that incurs even in patients under age 40. Now, one of the things, of course, that CT has provided, be besides increased lesion detection and classification, is in terms of management of patients, in terms of treatment. Classically, there was only one thing to do, nephrectomy. Now, we do classic nephrectomies, but we do more partial nephrectomies than classic nephrectomies. We do ablation. In patients with advanced disease, we do chemotherapy or immunotherapy or even vaccine therapy. And you can see the better imaging gets and the better the surgeon's experience gets 
things change. Initially for partial nephrectomy, the tumor cutoff was 4 cm or less, and now it's 7 cm is the usual cutoff. Partial nephrectomies can be used in T2 tumors in select cases, but again, uh, we are more aggressive. And location of tumor is a critical factor in patient selection. Uh, so one of the things imaging provides is where is the tumor. So the surgeons are indeed very aggressive, but that aggressiveness is also uh, confined by location of tumor, not just simply size. So in terms of imaging, what do we answer? The size of the tumor. Is there involvement of the venous or arterial structures? Does it involve adjacent organs? Are there nodal metastases present? Is there distant metastases? Distant, I think liver, I think lung, and perhaps I think bone. When you look at the challenges for the radiologist, there are really three big ones. Optimize lesion detection. Okay, if you don't detect the lesion, you're not going to be able to describe it or do anything about it. Then you want to optimize lesion classification because saying everything's a cancer is going to be wrong. A significant percentage of patients have benign lesions in the kidneys, and the key is determining what's benign from what's malignant, from what's indeterminate, from what needs to be removed, from what needs to be watched. So it becomes very important. And then once we do have what we think is a tumor, we need to present the information in the correct format to the referring physician. Now this idea about lesion detection and classification is really something very nicely shown in this article by Dyer, where he makes the point even almost a decade ago that as the size of the newly discovered lesions decreases, we're picking up small lesions than ever, the proportion of benign lesions, however, increases. And while we've made great strides in lesion detection, characterization or classification has lagged. So the problem is, is we're picking up more lesions, but a lot of them are simply benign. And in articles like this one by Frank, a quarter of patients who've gone to surgery actually have benign lesions. So that's a lot of incidentalomas, which are often very important with renal, but you know, very easy to recognize that a lot of patients perhaps are getting surgery when it's not necessary. And this article by Stahovsky, many renal masses are not renal cell carcinomas, but benign lesions, 30% of tumors under 2CM and 20% of those greater than 4CM are indeed going to be uh, benign lesions. So that becomes very, very important. Now we also have issues with CT at times in classifying small lesions. Is there partial averaging? Is it really lesion enhancement? Are there any septations? Uh, it can be a challenge. When you talk about small renal cells, you're talking about renal cell carcinoma, oncocytomas, angiomyelopomas, and complex renal cysts. So almost anything can vary in size. Obviously, if something is five or six centimeters, it's much easier to define and classify. The small lesions are always going to be the challenge. And so it's really these small lesions that become very problematic for us. Now, when we were looking at um, these renal cell carcinomas, the suspected renal cell carcinomas, we looked at uh, other things that we could think about um, and trying to really figure out how to classify things. And I think one of the things that people have classified is really the size thing. This is from the ACR. Over 3CM, it's solid, it's probably malignant. Under a centimeter, it can be observed, it's probably benign, even if it's indeed enhancing. So there is a lot of interest, 
And again, for small masses, this article from the ACR talked about follow-up, three to six months, 12 months, and then yearly. Again, the question is, what's the right thing to do? Well, probably somewhere near there without scanning the patient so frequently. So it's very important to realize that we are thinking about different things now, how we do the patient, how we scan the patient, and how we interpret the data. Because lesion detection, as we said a moment ago, is not enough. We need to classify into the leave-alone lesions where the patient doesn't come back, to those lesions where the patient has a tumor removed, because you know it's a tumor, to the cases where you simply watch the patient. Now, in doing a great renal study, we've always said this before, and this is probably true with pancreas and liver and everything else, you need protocols. So you need to have a good contrast injection protocol from rate to volume. You need scan parameter selection. What's the parameters of the scan you're going to use to be able to acquire the data? And what phases do you acquire? Again, if radiation wasn't an issue, you might do four phases. But what do you need on a daily basis? Will two phases or maybe even one phase suffice? What do you need to do? Or do you need to do multiphasic where you have three or four phases? Every phase adds a radiation dose and potentially an expense. You also need to recognize to look at the kidneys well, you need to do post-processing. And we'll go over that as well. Now, in terms of being able to look at lesions and define uh, the problems, this article by Pam Johnson really made the point that it's not easy. With the goal of refining interpretive performance, this essay shows the pattern of conspicuity unique to each GU pathology abnormality. Patients experience base recommendations to improve quality and characterization using MDCT and avoids and describes many of the pitfalls you need to avoid. So I think one of the things is we are kind of trying to really focus on protocols to really minimize error. So when you think about it, there are four big protocols or four phases you can use. And again, as I mentioned, I'll say one last time, the key is to do enough phases to make the right diagnosis and not enough phases to do the wrong diagnosis. So you're going to need certain things that we don't do in other organs like the liver and the pancreas. And one is non-contrast CT. We always get non-contrast CT before we get the arterial phase. And that's something... Uh, that we've done uh, always and it's something that I think people are realizing that if you don't do it you're going to increase your error rate and take patients to surgery for no reason. Now there are several rules we've learned with non-contrast CT. A mass measuring over 70 Hounsfield units on a non-contrast scan that's well defined and homogeneous has a 99.9 percent .9 being a high density renal cyst. That means it's a benign leave-alone lesion. So if you look at this case, look at the left kidney, there's a lesion there, it's high density, leave it alone. Or in this case, there's lesions in the left kidney. You see the one projected, it's 67 Hounsfield units, non-contrast. And then uh, you can see there's other lesions coming off the kidney, also of high density. And then you give contrast, and guess what? The lesion doesn't enhance. It stays at about 68, so it doesn't change at all. And on excretory phase, it doesn't change either. And you realize that what you were dealing with was a high-density renal cyst. And again, you can imagine if you only had this phase, you would say, oh, it looks like a renal cell. And it sure does. But one of the things we recognize is that we can see high-density or low-density lesions in the kidney and really use that information to help us. Another example here, left kidney, this looks kind of ominous. 
There's the mass, but it's only about 15 to 17 Hounsfield units. As you go from non-contrast through arterial phase and from arterial through delayed phase, this holds true. The numbers essentially don't change. It looks higher, but it isn't, and the, um, the numbers don't lie. This is a leave-alone lesion, just a very nice example of this lesion. Okay, And again, it never changed. If it was a cyst, cysts don't change or change under 10 Hounsfield units. If it was a uh, low-grade renal cell carcinoma, it's still going to enhance more than 10 Hounsfield units. Now, uh, O'Connor wrote an article um, trying to look again at this information about these uh, high-density renal lesions. And he made the point also that mean attenuation alone appears to be reliable for determining what renal mass needs further evaluation and which does not. And he made the point again that uh, masses with attenuation of less than 20 or over 70 were considered benign if they didn't have a nodule within them. And um, he felt that when you have 20 to 70 Hounsfield units, that's where you're going to see renal cell carcinoma. So again, he came up with this very, very nice chart. And this article by Pooler, uh, in this series, all renal cells contained a density of 20 to 70, while below 20 or above 70 was not tumor. The maximum unenhanced uh, ROI for all lesions was 39.7. Minimum was 27.5. So again, you can see it's this really chart of thinking where lesions fit on the non-contrast, figure out where you put them. You know, if they're simple cysts, they're usually under 10 Hounsfield units. And uh, Pooler makes the point that given that renal lesions outside this range have proven to be benign in previous works, we conclude indeterminate renal lesions on non-contrast CT that contain ROIs uh, that are over 20 to 70. Uh, again, those are things you need to be thinking about. So how can we explain this a little bit easier? Well, let's look at two charts. Here's a very nice chart, shows non-contrast, and look at those key numbers. Over 70, and typically 70 to 100, high-density renal cyst. Zero to 20 is a simple cyst. Minus 30, angiomyelipoma. But 20 to 70, you have to worry, because you'll see that that's where renal cell carcinomas occur. And the average density for a renal cell, non-contrast, is going to be about 37. So just a very nice, very nice place to start. And so here, another example. Look at that lesion left kidney. You'd worry about a tumor if you had contrast only, but it's 86. It barely changes on arterial, barely changes on late phase. But if you only had this lesion, you would have said this is a solid mass. It's a papillary renal cell carcinoma. So it's very tricky. I think in the ER setting, we've made the point. You see a lesion, you have one phase, and it looks like this. You say it's a renal cell. But I think you need to say it's a solid-appearing mass measuring 82 Hounsfield units, we need to look at its function to see whether this is a high-density renal cyst or whether it's a tumor. So again, you need to be very careful. Now, obviously, there are certain lesions that contain fat. Here's a classic angiomyelipoma, very obvious, all fat, benign. Or this lesion here, which is a bit harder, but there's a focus of fat in the lesion. And that was a subtle angiomyelipoma. Here it is again, and here's another patient. So again, you want to be very careful. There are benign lesions which can seem to be aggressive, but usually you can distinguish things apart. Um, in this example, you can see what looks like on the non-contrast, a dense renal mass. 
This surely is a high suspicion of renal cell carcinoma. There's some faint calcification present. You give IV contrast, there's the lesion enhancing. Just a great example of renal cell carcinoma. Patient uh, should do very well, potentially with a partial nephrectomy. But again, this triaging becomes so important, uh, we can't overemphasize that. And again, here's just a few more views of the 3D from arterial to uh, excretory phase imaging. So now we've spoken about non-contrast CT. We've made the point that under 20 and over 70 is the comfort zone. 20 to 70 is not that much comfort. That's what you really need to evaluate the patients in detail. And then you have to say is, okay, if I'm going from non-contrast to contrast, I need to look at phases. And what phases do I do? Well, we have an answer. We do three phases, cortical medullary, parenchymal and nephrographic phase, and excretory phase at 45 seconds, 60, and 240 seconds. And with that, let me stop here. Let's take a small break, and we'll come right back and pick up. Bye.